Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I am your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. It is Adam Spinella here. We're going to dive deep into the Donovan Mitchell trade that occurred. Uh, what? I guess that was two hours ago, three hours ago, something like that, Spins? Something like that. Time is moving pretty slowly when all I'm doing is sitting here and refreshing <laughs> the Twitter feed for the last few hours. So uh, it's something like that. Well, and for such a big blockbuster, we decided that going live would be the fun uh, thing to do here. So right now we're live on YouTube. Please, everyone, come join, come share the link, do everything that is associated with that. But uh, let's just kind of jump into this first. So uh, in sec- before we do that, I just want to note that like I had some dental work done yesterday and I'm drinking coffee with a straw. And I'm still like learning how to talk again after you get dental work done. So I'm like kind of like slurring my S's a little bit and like trying to figure out like, okay, like how, how do I talk again? That, that's always a fun, always a fun aspect of going to the dentist and like having actual work done. Yeah, Sam, you, you sound good. You look just as good. I, I think you're doing all right. Oh, that's nice. That's great. So the trade here is Donovan Mitchell going to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Colin Sexton, who has been signed and traded here in a four-year, $72 million contract, Lowry Markkinen, Ochai Agbaji, as well as Cleveland's 2025, 2027, and 2029 unprotected first-round picks, in addition to pick swaps in 2026 and 2028. I know what my immediate reaction was. I texted you my immediate reaction. I was like a little bit confused. I think I was still a little bit groggy from like waking up. But what was your immediate reaction when you saw this deal? My immediate reaction was, why didn't I see this coming sooner? Uh, that the, the sign-and-trade piece from Sexton really made Cleveland an ideal type of fit. I thought that the timeline really sunk up for the Cavaliers yep. of adding a, a younger star still a little bit on the upward trajectory in Donovan Mitchell with a guy like Darius Garland, who's hitting his extension year soon, and Evan Mobley, who's just coming off of a, a fantastic rookie campaign. So the, the yep. timeline of staggering some of the salaries, adding young stars – really, really made sense to me. Um, I know we'll talk about it a little bit more with Cleveland about what they gave up in order to make that happen. I think that as a, a smaller market type of team, you just, whatever you have to do in order to land a star via trade, when the timing fits, when the window is open to do so, you take advantage of it. And I think that's what Cleveland did here. So uh, my immediate reaction was kind of like, wait, what? And it's funny because I had thought about Cleveland in regard to a Donovan Mitchell deal. And I think the reason that I, I don't want to say I thought less of it or like I'm not in on it. I I think it's a, I think it's a good deal for Cleveland. I I think it makes sense for Cleveland to go down this road uh, for a number of reasons. But I think the reason that I, didn't quite connect the dots quite as much as someone like, for instance, like Kyle Mann talked about this a while ago on, I think it was like the ringer NBA show. And of course, Kyle, and like he nailed it, like a sign and trade for Sexton. Like, I think he even mentioned marketing, which makes sense. Cause like they needed the marketing money involved. And then like picks, obviously um, shout out Kyle, just a terrific person. Um, but I think the reason that I didn't quite associate it is like, I thought that they would go hunting for a wing more than another guard that is like a little bit ball dominant next to Darius Garland. But here's the thing that I think I kind of forgot early this year, Cleveland was extremely successful playing with Ricky Rubio next to Darius Garland. And I thought it was their most successful run of this past season. 
And I think you're going to see a pretty similar kind of dynamic where Darius Garland is terrific playing both on and off the ball. Like Cleveland loves to start him off the ball and run him off of like all sorts of, you know, crazy off ball actions like baseline screens. And they'll run them off of like some wing screens where they'll try and get him like in a dribble handoff to uh, get moving before he touches the ball. Like he is a really, really impressive off ball guard. He's, you know, we talk about Trey Young not really moving off the ball as like a similar player to Darius Garland. Trey's better than Darius Garland, but like is a similar uh, prototype player, archetype of player. The difference between the two, other than like Trey Young being drastically better on the ball because Trey Young is like one of the best on ball players I think the NBA has ever seen, is that Darius Garland really moves off the ball. And I think that that's why, you know, I'm a little bit worried about the fit with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young in general, but I'm less concerned about the Darius Garland Donovan Mitchell fit because I think that both Donovan and Darius have very real experience at this point playing off the ball and have had a lot of success at this point playing off the ball i think that uh all of it just kind of works uh in terms of the way that those two will work offensively like that dynamic i think is going to be pretty strong uh defensively i I think is why maybe i didn't always connect this in the way that maybe i could have i do have some significant concerns about darius garland and Donovan Mitchell playing together defensively in the same way that for many years now I've been talking about my concerns with uh, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton playing together defensively in Cleveland. But Donovan Mitchell is just way better than Colin Sexton. Like it's yeah. a significant upgrade. So does the offensive upgrade in uh, the fit that they're going to have offensively, which I think is pretty real, does that counteract the defensive concerns I have? I think it does. I think it does for me, but I also think that this does some like weird things where it might limit what they can do moving forward because like you also really kind of are committed now to the Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, like combination, big alignment. And I worry that like not Jared Allen or Evan Mobley alone are good enough rim protectors to counteract that backcourt defensively the two of them together i think can do it and that's why i like this donovan mitchell trade a little bit more for cleveland than i would have liked it for the knicks and we'll talk about that later on but i think my immediate reaction at the end of the day is kind of similar to what you said you're the Cavs. you have a chance to go out and get donovan mitchell you're giving up a lot of what right now you probably grade as like B level assets as opposed to a level assets and you get a chance to do it. Now I have some concerns and we'll talk about that in the Utah section in terms of like why I think that this works for Utah, but yeah, I I get it. I I get it for Cleveland in a way that I was concerned about not getting it for Cleveland whenever I originally saw the deal. Well, I think part of why the picks don't hurt, as much as it might seem on on the surface level is because Evan Mobley and Darius Garland and and Jared Allen are all-star caliber type of players already and have so much more room for growth, both individually and together. The Cavs aren't going to long-term too. They're, they're locked in. Like the Cavs are not going to be able to find another really good uh, star player type of asset through the draft. what they got this year with O'Shea Agbaji at 14 is probably the the highest draft pick they'll have for the coming five, six years. So I always say when you're talking about mass first round picks going in a deal, it's about the quality of the pick, not just the quantity of them. They are unprotected, which leaves Cleveland a little bit thin in case there's some injury, some happenstance that might propel them in a different direction. But I, I do believe that these are... You know, this is the time to make that type of deal because, like you said, all of the players are cost controlled in terms of their contracts. And a guy like Mobley is only going to continue to get better on the offensive end of the floor. Garland is hitting his stride right now and a really, really unique piece. And the offensive stuff just fits. I think Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are a fantastic pairing because they can play your turn, my turn, they can play off of each other. Having two big men with them will allow the Cavaliers to 
really play different types of pick and roll styles, one on one side of the floor, quick swing to the other wing, step up ball screen on that end. They can do yeah. a lot of different things offensively. And this is you know an underrated piece of this to me. Uh, I'm a big fan of going out and buying or, or spending a lot of money on your star players and saying, we'll figure out the role pieces later because you can find them on cheaper, more economical contracts. And because there's such star power, such good offensive creation and, and defensive security behind, I know we'll talk about the defense in a, in a minute, but because of that, it's very simple for each role player who comes into Cleveland to know what's expected of them, how to find those yeah. players, and what they're going to be asked to do. That makes the team building long-term really simple. Yeah, and you brought up the idea of just getting your star players. I mean, this Cavs team now has three all-stars on it in Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Jared Allen. Uh, there's only one. There's only one team in the NBA outside of the Cavs that had three all-stars in 2022. That's the Golden State Warriors. And oh, by the way, the Cavs' like best asset is Evan Mobley, and he doesn't even count within that stat. So the Cavs are loaded in terms of like real high-level talent. And the thing that I think is biggest here is like you could point to Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, you could say that those guys are like, you know, A minus level assets that like aren't quite going to be good enough to win a title. That like that, you know, if you pair all of those guys together, you're looking at like a 50 win team that maybe is like the four or five seed. The differentiating factor here is Evan Mobley. Like there is an upside and there is a world where Evan Mobley is the dude where like he actually gets you to the title. And I think that is what Cleveland is betting on here as much as anything. You brought up the idea of timing and you think that this is the right time for Cleveland. Is it like, are are you sure about that? I'm, I think it is like, I, I think I agree with you that like this team should have made the playoffs last year and they were really good throughout 75% of the year, let's say. And they have real talent now. But is this like two years too? Is it a year too early to like push? Because this this deal pushes all of their assets long term into the table. Right. Like it, it's going to be harder for them to maneuver in 2025 through 2029 uh, with all of the assets that they've moved out for Donovan Mitchell. Uh and you figure 2025 to 2029, that's probably when this team's actually going to be competing for a title. Uh, Probably not this year. Although I think that like there's an outside chance that like they could win 55 games and like make it work. If Evan Mobley takes like an enormous leap, but I I think realistically, like, you know, you're waiting until Evan Mobley is 23, 24 years old. Donovan Mitchell's 28 years old. Darius Garland is 24, 25 years old. That's probably more when your window is. So I guess I just ask, like, is this a year too early or like two years too early, given that Donovan Mitchell is only signed through, I believe, 2025 at this point? Yeah, and I get that. I I certainly understand that perspective because, you know, this doesn't instantly vault the Cavaliers into contender status, that you're making this star trade and mortgaging your future for a little bit of development that is needed from the rest of the guys you already have in order for you to get to that championship level. So it it may feel a a bit uh, early in that regard, but two things really make me believe this is the right time for it. One is the Colin Sexton piece, that being able to include him contractually through sign and trade isn't something that Cleveland might have the ability to do in the future, that there's just going to be a shortage of bigger contracts that are needed to send out in order to get a star player, particularly as the cap might take another jump or two in another couple of years, that's going to be harder to come by in the future. So without giving up one of Allen or Garland and a really important piece or sending more picks if you're going to send Kevin Love out in a deal like that. Uh, This was really the right time to take advantage of it this summer. The second thing for me is you never know when another star player like this is going to come available again, who is an all-star, who fits the timeline window, and who does have such good offensive synergy 
with the all-star and point guard of the future that the Cavs already have in Darius Garland. Yeah. So to me, it's it's less about timing of how are they going to compete for a championship in the next year or two. It's we don't know if this opportunity is ever going to come available again. We have to make our swing at it right now. I think you're right. I, I think you're right about that. Uh, I think that this is a swing the Cavs had to make. I think that the assets they gave up while concerning and like uh, could end up being very bad depending on how things go. I think that they had to do this given that Donovan Mitchell's under contract longer term. It's a good fit. He is a perimeter player as opposed to like Minnesota going all in on a big in today's NBA, which I think is important. Uh, And here's the thing, like Donovan Mitchell has been bad defensively for a couple of years now. Donovan Mitchell has not always been bad defensively. Like, he was good defensively at Louisville. He was pretty good defensively his first year in the NBA. There could be, like, some room for upside there. Like, I I don't know if I buy that entirely, but, like, he has shown the capacity to be a good defender before. And I kind of think that that, like, has a chance to come back at least. I I don't know. It's a that backcourt pairing defensively is going to be very odd and and interesting to track moving forward. I do think Donovan is a better pairing for Garland defensively than Sexton is because Donovan is stronger than Colin. Like he's just much stronger, much more physical, longer, everything like that. Um, How many games do we think this team wins this year? Like, do we think that they're a top three seed in the East? Do we think that they have a chance like at the number one seed? Do we think that they're like, you know, still below Miami and like the five seed. Like what, where are you, where, where are you at on this Cavs team? Yeah. Real quickly on the defense first, Sam, I, I think that, you know, perimeter defense and foot speed and all the issues that they may have in one-on-one situations with Garland and Mitchell on the floor together does have some concern, but this is the most uniquely built roster in terms of rim protection and interior yeah. presence defensively that yep. in Utah, the issues that the Jazz ran into in the postseason was teams could go five out and take Rudy Gobert away from the rim. And now the way that Utah built their roster, they had so many perimeter sieves and guys that couldn't keep anybody in front that once Gobert is out of the lane, the rim is unoccupied. People yeah. are, are slashing through them left and right. In Cleveland, you can lift Jared Allen away to the corner and try to do the exact same thing in a five-out scheme but you still got Evan Mobley on the weak side ready to, to roam and, and protect yep. that lane. That having two bigger guys who are so instinctual and can protect the basket, really it, it helps me get over some of the defensive concerns because this is the absolute right infrastructure meant to protect offensive pieces like Donovan, like Darius, while giving them a lot of versatility to guard in different ways still because Mobley can play on the perimeter and be just fine. And, and on top of that, too, I do want to note that, look, Jared Allen is better in a drop coverage scheme than he is like out on the perimeter, like on an island with guards. He got better at that this year, though. Like, And he got better rotationally around the basket this year. Uh, he is a really high level defender now who has really improved his versatility as a defender now. Uh, yeah, I think that that is an enormous aspect of this deal. And again, that's why I kind of like it more for the Cavs than I do for the Knicks to acquire Donovan Mitchell and pair him with a smaller guard like the Knicks would have paired him with Jalen Brunson, right? And you would have similar issues, but the Cavs infrastructure is just drastically different and drastically better, frankly, than what uh, New York's is. And I think that they're better suited to compete in the next three years than the Knicks are with Donovan Mitchell. So in terms of like where they are in the East, like I do think this is a top four team in the East now on paper at the very least. Like we don't know how it's all going to come together entirely, but I would say this is a top four team in the East on paper. Yeah. I think I have them right around that, like four to five, maybe four to six range. Um, I think, you know, Milwaukee, Philly and, and Boston are in a little bit tougher of a tier to me that they're not, just not quite ready for in terms of experience. Miami is a little bit up and down to me, but I, I have them kind of penciled in right now as that, number four spot. And then I think there's like a, a Cleveland Toronto arms race kind of going on for which young players develop the fastest 
what identity are they able to really produce that helps them win games in a postseason series to, to see who takes that leap forward first. Yeah, I think that my immediate take is, look, Philly, Philly, I think, is a better playoff team, weirdly, than like a regular season team, just because Joel is going to miss time in the regular season, right? Like, and it's just hard for them to win when Joel is out. Uh, obviously, they're going to be hoping for more from James Harden. And if they get more from James Harden, you know, their regular season fortunes could change a little bit. But I wonder if like we see a circumstance where Philly is a little bit more successful of a playoff team and, you know, the Cavs take a year of like taking their lumps a little bit in the playoffs. Right. Um, but maybe they win more games in the regular season than Philly. I don't know. Like, I, I think that Cleveland ends up with a home playoff series. I think that's going to, that's my take immediately from this. I think they end up with a home playoff series uh, with Donovan Mitchell and, they have room for growth beyond that because Evan Mobley is not going to be at his peak at 21 years old, 22 years old. Uh, that That is really the differentiating factor here. Like Evan Mobley being so good, uh, so young, and being such an elite defender that I think has real upside offensively, that's it. Like that's the key to me. Uh, he, he is – he can be the guy on a title team if his development goes right in the next two to three years. And – I don't know that the Knicks have that. I don't think Utah ever had that. Cleveland does have it, and I think it's like the key factor here in them being able to take this swing. Let's move to Utah now. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Because I, I think the entirety of this deal for Utah is a bet that Donovan Mitchell will not like living in Cleveland and will want to leave in three years. Like that, that's it. Like the way that they have structured the draft assets in this deal is 
2025 unprotected, 2027 unprotected, 2029 unprotected. Donovan Mitchell's deal runs out, I believe, in 2025. And I will just note very briefly on the Cavs front. So right now, the Cavs have two designated rookie extensions on their books with Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley. Donovan Mitchell theoretically has four years left on his deal, but has a player option after three, if I remember correctly on this front um or, or it's something like that like it, it, the way that it could work like donovan could opt into his player option and theoretically cause problems with cleveland like getting evan mobley locked into a designated rookie extension i would venture and i can almost guarantee you this was the Cavs' idea that there's no way donovan mitchell is like like donovan mitchell could drop off like 25% from where he is now. And with the way that the TV money is going to improve across the league, uh, my guess is that it's still going to be advantageous for Donovan Mitchell to opt out of that deal. Like that, that's kind of it at the end of the day. So I think that the designated rookie extension idea does not really play a role uh, within this deal, even though uh on the books, like you could theoretically see it playing a role. Uh, moving to Utah, though, this is a bet on just Donovan Mitchell not wanting to stay in Cleveland after 2025, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, it's, it's a unique way, and I think it's a smart way to structure how they're going to go about getting their picks and handling a lot of those situations. If I'm, you know, the Utah Jazz here, I, I have to look at this in terms of really the the last two we got a we got a new guest here look at this yeah we have a guest this is this is penny she uh decided to bang down the door uh with her five pound muscles <laughs> well I, you know and sam we're just talking here about kind of picks and, and how i think things go for for utah with looking at this as a combination of the mitchell and gobert trades for a second in terms of what they've brought in right and, yeah. and correct me if i'm wrong on this but it it ends up being Seven future first-round picks. Uh, Kessler and Egbaji would make that nine as guys who haven't really played in the NBA yet. Three. Uh, I would argue Bomaro is ten. Bomaro would be ten. Three pick swaps. Uh, I believe what was it? One in this deal and or sorry, two in this deal and one in the Gobert. Um, I'll pull up the Gobert exact details, but I think that you're right on that. So that ends up being, you know, a swap doesn't really add a young player to you. It just gives you a more advantageous position to pick one. But really what we're looking at here are is a, a total haul of first-round picks for, for two players that you felt inevitably were going to move on, while also adding a couple intriguing younger guys to that roster. Like I think Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, who they ended up, really flipping just an asset that they got in that Gobert trade for. Uh, I think Colin Sexton is still young enough to be somewhat intriguing if surrounded by the right pieces. Uh, this this is a gamble on, on future and upside that Utah is certainly making. They want to enter the new frontier in the NBA, which is when you decide to tank, you go this Sam Presti, you know, Henke style, just accumulate as many future draft picks as you can. And it's okay to sit on those for a while and, and use them as you see fit by the time your roster is ready to start maturing. And, and that's what Utah's really going to do here. Well, it's, it's the Danny Ainge style more than anything. Like, I mean, he did it before Presti did it, right? Like this is, this is always what he's done. He's tried to accumulate as many unprotected picks as possible, get as many bites at the apple as he can and figure it out from there. I think it's a, it's an interesting play. Uh, look, they, they've done an exceptional job of rebuilding their asset chest, and they still have more, by the way, that they can do, and we'll get to that in a moment. And I think they're going to probably even get a couple more first-round picks whenever they clear out the rest of this roster. Um, yeah, I mean, three unprotected first-round picks from the Cavs. It's valuable. Uh, I think here's the thing. Is three unprotected picks in 2025, 2027, and 2029 from the Cavs more valuable than two unprotected Knicks picks, given what we know about like the Knicks roster right now? They're 
just overall organizational, the James Dolan of it all, let's call it. Like, I think the Knicks actually have done like a really competent job with their front office. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't mean this as, as a slight at like Leon Rose. I don't mean this as a slight at the players on the roster. Like, I think that the front office since they've taken over has actually done like a pretty good job. Um, I just wonder like, that organization is perpetually unstable under James Dolan. Like it, it's just the reality of the situation. I'm sorry. Uh, I feel bad saying it. It just, I, I just wonder if two unprotected Knicks picks might be more on, might be more valuable than three unprotected Cavs picks as the Cavs move into this Evan Mobley led era where they also have Darius Garland, who's an all-star and now also have Donovan Mitchell and the potential to resign Donovan Mitchell moving forward. Yeah. I, I mean, Look, uh, part of this, too, is not just the three Cavs picks versus two from the Knicks. It's the Colin Sexton versus whatever salary pieces you would get from the Knicks, assuming that that might be an R.J. Barrett. I know the the extension kind of threw a little bit of a wrench in some of those negotiations, yeah. per- potentially. Uh, but I don't know where I'd stand on three Cleveland picks versus two New York. I think that's pretty close. But I do know I would much rather have a guy like R.J. Barrett than any current asset that the Cavaliers could have thrown at me if I'm Utah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm in, I'm in on I'm in on R.J. Like that's the thing. <laughs> like, and we'll talk about R.J. at the end. But like, and I want to talk about his extension at the end. But like, I. I just, yeah, this this is a weird deal for Utah where it's just like if Donovan Mitchell stays in Cleveland, like this is not a good deal for the Jazz, I don't think. Like I think they would have done better doing the Knicks deal. Um, but like it, it's always what Danny Ainge was going to do. Whoever gave him the most unprotected picks, he was going to do that deal. That's what his style is. That's what his mentality is on this thing. And I get it. I just worry about what the value like, Evan Mobley's really good. That's kind of what I keep coming back to. Like, if you're Utah, you're betting on a team with Evan Mobley uh, and, like, now three all-stars surrounding Evan Mobley, uh, all of whom are 25 and under. I think Jared Allen is 25 still. He might be 26, I guess. Um, You're betting on that team failing. And Evan Mobley still has, like, eight years left of team control because I'm sure he's going to sign a five-year max, right? Like, that, that would make sense. I, I I get it. I get why he did this. Also, there might just be a part of it where like the Knicks were fucking around and he got sick of dealing with the Knicks, right? Like, and, and this is like not a like tangibly worse deal. Um, no. I don't know if it was so like the final deal that Shams reported uh, over on TV earlier today was RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly two unprotected firsts. And like you would assume that Yvonne Fournier was in that deal somehow. Look, I can't imagine that if it came down to it, like, look, this was not reported. This is now me speculating. I can't imagine if it came down to it, the Knicks would be like, no, Obi Toppin is our breaking point. Like I would bet that they probably could have gotten Obi Toppin in that deal, given the way that they've utilized Obi so far. It has nothing to do with like how good Obi Toppin is. It has to do with the fact that like, up until the last 10 games of last season, they misutilized him since they acquired him. So like you can get all of that or you can do the Cavs deal where you get Colin Sexton, who's pretty good. Like I think Colin Sexton is going to put up numbers in Utah. Like Colin Sexton is going to put up 25 points a game, probably on like league average efficiency. Cause that's what he does. That's who Colin Sexton is. Um, Larry marketing is a valuable player. Like he's a, you know, starting power forward in today's NBA because of his ability to space the floor. Um, Oshai Baji is like a good flyer, good wing defender, you know, good three and D guy. I, I don't see him as anything more than somewhere between like a fifth and eighth man on a roster. Like it, it's like getting a, to me, like I like him a little bit less than I like Quentin Grimes, for instance, um, is an asset. And it seems like the Knicks like weren't necessarily offering Quentin. I, I don't know. Like I, I like, I, I like the overall haul that Utah got for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. I just wonder if I would have rather bet on the organizational instability of the Knicks over this Cavs roster with Evan Mobley. 
Yep, and and I certainly understand that. I think with with R.J. Barrett, and this is something that I'm just you know speculating and thinking on right here. If you're Utah, do you think that acquiring him either just with his timeline of of when he's going to start aging and and being a, a really good player puts him out of the ability to be part of that rebuilt core, and therefore, hey, I'd rather take an extra pick, some other young assets, and a guy like Igbaji and salary filler from a guy like Colin Sexton long-term, as opposed to RJ, who we've got to pay for a while. We may win a few more games than we'd like the next couple of years. And then by the time we've rebuilt this thing, he's 27, 28. Uh, Not sure if the timelines sync up. Like I I don't know if they're thinking that far in advance or if that enters their mind at all. I think RJ is clearly the superior player. I agree with you. I, I would have preferred that Knicks package to the Cleveland one. It's close. I think I'd prefer the Knicks one. But I don't know if RJ's contract and timeline situation of being the best player for right now matches up with a complete overhaul and rebuild. But it doesn't really with Sexton or Lowry either, though, right? No, but I don't the think you like, acquire them to be yeah. those linchpin pieces, right? You acquire yeah, them you acquire to the help picks. bridge yeah. the gap over the next few years, and you're taking the extra pick, a guy like Igbaji getting thrown in as a, a younger guy that is team-controlled for four years. Yeah, no, you're right. You're, uh, I, I get that. Like, and I, but like, I think RJ is going to be a little bit more flippable. Um, I think that RJ is going to like, can, like, you could move RJ in the future in a way that, like, look, we we kind of just saw how valuable Colin Sexton is around the league this summer, right? Like, you know, he he was a free agent. I don't think the Cavs like were. Like, if if he would have signed a offer sheet somewhere, like, I, I don't know if Cleveland would have matched put it that way like they might have they might have just been like let's roll over the asset but like i'm not sure that they would have um it's i I don't know i think i would have rather had the knicks deal if i was utah but you know nonetheless like they are now set to rebuild moving forward like they have walker kessler they have oshag baji they have taylor horton tucker who's like an interesting piece now although I'm a little bit less interested in Taylor Horton Tucker than I was a week ago because you've acquired Colin Sexton, who's going to dominate the ball. Um, you know, it, now the question comes for Utah. Where, like, where are you shipping all of these other guys? Cause like, there, there's no way that Boyan Bogdanovich should start the year on the Utah Jazz roster. There's no way that like Mike Conley should start the year on the Utah Jazz roster. Um, Jordan Clarkson as well. Like, there, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason for these guys to be around. Like, so I think that like the Lakers are obviously a fit here. Like if you could do, you know, Boyan and Mike Conley, Boyan and Jordan Clarkson for Russell Westbrook. And then like you get a pick in like a second round pick or something, something like that. Right. Like th- that probably makes some sense. Maybe like a pick and a pick swap from the Lakers for those two. Um you know, it, there are a lot of teams I think that would really love Boyan at the end of the day. Like, I, I think that he's a really valuable player. He's one of the best spot up shooters in the NBA. He's one of the best, um, you know, he's one of the most underrated scorers, I think, in the NBA. Defensively, there are concerns, but like, there are teams that can insulate him defensively in a pretty real way. Um, yeah, no, th- this is a fascinating core moving. F- like, I-, I wonder if. Like, if you're Phoenix, would you consider doing, like, Cam Johnson and, like, Dario Saric for Boyan? Because, like, it is a significant upgrade on Cam Johnson um, as much as, like, I like Cam Johnson. But, like, I'm just, like, kind of think like, I think that that comes pretty close money-wise. You know, if you're Utah, you're getting Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson might not fit their age timeline, now that I think about it. But, like... um, you know, you get him for a longer term deal, hopefully, and like you, you kind of make that work. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one. I, to me, it all comes back to what is Utah best served doing with some of their veteran assets now? Is it trying to bundle them together and make one bigger haul, or is it doing individual deals where you send Bogdanovich one place, you send Conley to another? Mm-hmm. You know, with the that clearly impacts the Lakers, and yeah. and that's where I think the the urgency is going to be on here over the next several weeks before we get into training camps of are the Lakers going to be able to pull this deal out? Can they, can they find a way to get these guys? Because they're the one team that has urgency to take both back. Cause I don't think they, but can you, but you know what this deal, what this deal does though, 
it creates a bidding war. Like it, the race is now on to like get boy on the race is now on to get like some of these guys out of Utah. And like, we can talk about like how valuable they are, but I would imagine like four or five teams called the jazz immediately after the CEO. And we're like, Hey, like just wanted to check in, see what you're doing with Bogdanovich. Right. right? And, and it impacts Indiana in some ways because we keep hearing about miles Turner and buddy healed being potentially linked to the Lakers. There, there are other dominoes that fall or could fall as a result of this type of trade. But absolutely, it, it creates a bidding war. It expedites the process for what's going to happen with these other veterans. And it's a great position for Utah to really be sitting in here over the next six to eight weeks. Yeah, and more than anything, it puts them in a great position for Victor Wembanyama. <laughs> like, let's just be real about that. Um, or Scoot Henderson or the Thompson Twins, who, whoever you want to talk about in the 2023 NBA draft. Uh, it's a terrific top of the 2023 NBA draft. I have a little bit of concerns about like the way that it shapes up from, you know, five to 10 or five to 12 right now, but guys always emerge, right? It always happens. Cam Whitmore is absolutely terrific, but yeah, at the end of the day, like this is, um, this is a, we're, uh, uh, what is it? What, what are we going with with a hashtag right now for, you know, losing for Wemby? Uh, um, for Wemby or yeah. something like that? Yeah, I've heard Vi for Victor a little bit out yeah. there. I don't mind there that we one. go. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a race to the top there in that, that draft class. I mean, I think Utah and San Antonio. We're race to the bottom. Race to the bottom, whatever you want to call it there. Uh, you know, Utah and San Antonio uniquely positioned, I think, in the Western Conference to be – kind of the, the two teams going for it on that front. Yeah. And, and just, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw this out there, Sam, there is a possibility that we watch a Utah jazz team this year that has Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Nikhil Alexander Walker and Taylor Horton Tucker all sharing. Like who, who passes the ball in that lineup? I, I think there's going to be uh some sneaky league pass potential there, but not for the reasons that you typically put a team on your league pass list. Like I would love to tune in to see it, how many quarters they can play with one or fewer assists. Oh my God. Uh, I'm tweeting out. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I am. That's amazing. I, I'm like blown away by what that could look like uh i, I like what uh we, we have wreck for wemby from uh kemba it looks like in the comments here on youtube stoop for kemba. scoot there we go uh I'm, I'm all in i'm all in uh okay the knicks now uh l- let's do this next thing so for as much as i just said that i think the knicks should uh i think the knicks offer was a little bit better uh and i i think that it was Uh, I think the Knicks offer was slightly better than the Cavs offer as reported by Shams, largely because I don't trust in James Dolan, right? Like that's what it comes down to. Not because of the Leon Rose of it all, not because of everything else, but simply because the James Dolan of it all, like our guy's going to want to go play for him, everything like that. Was acquiring Donovan Mitchell the right move for them at the end of the day? That, that's kind of what it comes down to for me. I, I don't know that it was. I, I've always been like a little bit more hesitant uh, on them giving up all of the assets necessary uh, for Mitchell. Like uh, it's not uh, like when it was like six firsts and like four of those firsts were not unprotected and it was like Quentin Grimes and Fournier and like quickly, I was like, okay, sure. Whatever makes sense. Um, If it was going to be like three unprotected firsts and RJ and like everything like that, I don't know, man. Like (sighs) the fit between Brunson and Mitchell without the defensive insulation of Allen and Mobley that Cleveland has that could have like turned out really, really poorly, I think, for the Knicks. Yeah, totally agree there. Like my my complaint with the the difference in New York is literally the, the front court that New York has. That Julius Randle, the inconsistency there is always going to be an issue. I don't think he's the most self aware offensive player, nor the ideal four man defensively to play next to a smaller, you know, 
lacking a little bit of foot speed backcourt. I'm not a huge Mitchell Robinson guy. Like I just there there's a lot of a lot of barely above average guys there in New York for the role that you would have them placed in that mortgaging your future in such a way by giving up that many picks without moving them into a clear top four or five spot in the East, it puts you in that no man's land that you really want to avoid being in. And and that's, it's hard to resist the urge to go out there and get a star player when you're the New York Knicks and you say, we're in New York. We should be good. We haven't been really competitive in a long while. We, a year ago, we made the playoffs as a four seed. We had a little bit of a setback this year, but we should be aspiring to be on that level. It's hard to have the self-awareness sometime to step back and say, if we do this deal, we're not a top three or four team in the East right away, and we're mortgaging our future so much to do it that we're losing a lot of our means to improve. I think that's right. Um, with Donovan Mitchell, what are the Knicks? The Knicks are like here's a good question with Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randall, RJ Barrett. Let's say they were able to keep Barrett. Although it seems like they offered Barrett based off of what Shams is reporting. Um, So let's even say Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, Julius Randall, Mitchell Robinson, everything like that. Let's remove Barrett from the equation because it seems like the Knicks offered him. Um, Is that team worse? Is that team better than the Cavs with just like the core that they had previously like is that team better than Darius Garland Evan Mobley taking a leap Jared Allen Lowry Markinen, etc yeah no for me just simply on the defensive end of the floor I trust the defensive yeah. infrastructure that the Cavaliers have and I don't think the Knicks can provide that like even if you throw RJ in the trade and it ends up being Brunson and Mitchell and Randall and a couple of the decent young players that they have to, to fill in the gaps I don't think that's a better team than Atlanta with young DeJounte Murray and some, you know, John Collins and some intriguing front court depth there. DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter, Hunter yeah. Capella, like, yep, yep. I, I don't think that's a better team than Atlanta. And I think the timelines with Cleveland and Atlanta continuing to get better. You can get leapfrogged in three years by an Orlando or a Detroit as they have really yep. accumulated those young assets. Maybe Indiana enters that scheme. Like, it's three years down the line. I don't see the Knicks, if they make that type of trade, being a top four or five team in the East. And if you yeah. don't see that, I don't, I don't think you can justify pulling the trigger. Whereas I can easily see that for Cleveland. It's the theme of what we've been talking about here today, Sam. It's the Mobley impact on all of this. Yeah, like you – I don't know. Like I, You brought up the idea earlier just getting the star, right? And – in New York's case, like there's a real tangible benefit to getting the star, right? Like if you get Donovan Mitchell, it could attract other guys to want to play with Donovan Mitchell. Like you have Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson plays great with superstars. We just saw it like in the conference finals, right? I always thought of Donovan Mitchell as like the number two piece. So the Knicks could maybe go out and get the number one. The problem is it's just really fucking hard to go find number one. Yes. Like it's just really hard. And it makes it a lot more difficult whenever you're like capped out because you're paying Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell. What? I guess that would be almost $60 million. And look, we can talk about the cap rising as much as we do. And it's an important factor here moving forward, but you know, you have, you would then have Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, Julius Randall signed for like $85 million between the three of them. Uh, you know, if you were able to keep RJ, you're looking at like 110, then like the cap, maybe it spikes to like 135, then like 150, I guess. But like, once you start talking about maxes at 150 for like superstar number one assets, you're talking about like a $50 million max, um, to start. And then it escalates from there. I, I don't know, man. Like I did the Knicks like get away did the Knicks like kind of dodge a bullet with this? Like they, they really might've, I think a little bit. Yeah. I think it, to me, it's going to depend on two things to know if they dodged a bullet. One is, are they, this going- to, I, I want to be clear too, by the way, this has nothing to do with like me not liking Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. I, I love Donovan Mitchell as player. Uh, I think he's really, really like, I think that like some of, some of the hate he gets like in terms of inefficiency, 
Uh, some of it was just he was so responsible for creating so, so, so much in Utah uh, once, especially this year, Mike Conley kind of didn't quite have it as much as he used to. Uh, he was just responsible for creating everything in Utah. And while he did it on a floor surrounded by incredible floor spacing, he was just kind of stuck you know, being forced to do everything for them. And that makes it hard, I think. And plus, like, I, I don't know how great the, like, the synergy was between he and Rudy Gobert on the court. I have nothing, I have no idea about, like, their personal relationship. I don't really care. Um, but their synergy together on the court has always been, like, a little bit, you know, a little bit off, it feels like. So I think in Cleveland, he's going to be great. Like, he'll figure, he'll have a great lob partner and, you know, Jared Allen, he's a great partner in crime and Darius Garland, like it should be a little bit easier for him, I think. Um, but I think he is a situationally dependent player. He's not so overwhelmingly good. Like he's a top 20 to 25 player in the NBA. He's not a uh, top 10 player in the NBA where like he is going to dominate regardless of what the situation around him is. And in New York, the situation around him was not perfect for him to shine whereas in cleveland i think it's like actually really good for him to like continue to shine and continue to get better yeah if if he was capable of being the number one option and putting a team on his back and winning postseason series you'd think we would have seen it already at this point so putting him in that exact same type of role in new york doesn't inspire confidence to me that the knicks really become a a postseason type of team Um, and i think cleveland has a little bit more balance offensively we keep mentioning the defensive infrastructure to really be able to do that Uh, i just i don't know if i'd say this is the knicks dodging a bullet but i would say it it will depend on the continued growth of a guy like rj barrett uh, that he has to really continue to get better year after year and and if he ends up being an all-star type of player then you are no worse necessarily than you might have been in terms of win-loss record from making a deal for Donovan Mitchell, and you keep some of those future assets and, and younger picks. One thing I just got a text uh, from is this is now the second big deal that Danny Ainge has struck with Kobe Altman, particularly. Uh, yeah. The Kyrie deal, right? and then now this one. Uh, it's a good point from someone in the industry that just texted me um yeah very interesting i think very uh very very intriguing deal i I put out the i put out the question in the comments to see if anyone has some questions here for us as we kind of close up um dre asked can cleveland be the next dynasty in the nba similar to the warriors i wouldn't go that far uh i i look i love evan mobley but like stephen curry is one of the 15, you know, conservatively one of the 15 best players ever. Um, much as I love Evan Mobley, if he's even David Robinson, that's a level below what Stephen Curry is. And David Robinson's what? One of the 40 best players of all time, maybe better. Um, and there's like a significant difference in that. So I, I think it's really, really hard to kind of envision envision a warriors like dynasty but uh, i i appreciate uh i appreciate the fact that they could win a title i think yep totally agree um who do we have as is from lawrence field who do we currently have as the bottom five teams in the nba as the race for wemby goes on All right, so I threw out Utah and San Antonio a little bit ago as as being those teams in the Western Conference. Uh, I think in the East, there are several candidates for for going in that direction. Uh, I would probably say, you know, Charlotte and Indiana, uh, Orlando. Charlotte, that's a big call. That is, yeah. Uh, Orlando, I think, taking another, you know, taking another year before they get to that point of being able to, to win a ton of games. Uh, that's that's one that stands out to me. I also think there's probably going to be one team that we don't necessarily expect that ends up getting down there. Like I should also say Houston as well, just being yeah. young in another year where, that they'll need to, to figure some things out. Oklahoma City, we know. Uh, I think three, maybe four teams in the West, and then you know one one or two in the East, whether that's Charlotte, Indy, Orlando, uh, sneaking down there. Yeah, my, my immediate reaction was Utah, Oklahoma City, San Antonio. Like San Antonio, I think is going to be really bad. 
Um, and then, I don't know, probably, probably Indiana, Houston, Orlando, like two of those three teams, maybe like sounds right to me. Something along those lines. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds about right. I, I'm, I'm a little lower on Charlotte than a lot of other people are. Uh, that, that just wouldn't surprise me if they end up, you know, closer to the all-star break doing what Indiana did this year and saying, you know what, we just got to shut it down and, and see how low we can get. The, the thing with Charlotte is that they do have Steve Clifford returning yeah. and you wonder if like that gives them the defensive infrastructure that they've lacked over the course of the last few years. But you know, maybe um, with Utah now being hard capped, this is from Luke Brom with Utah now being hard capped with the sign and trade of Sexton. Do we still see Utah as a realistic dumping ground for Westbrook? I, I think that there are structures where they could do it. Um, let me look at their cap sheet very briefly. Um, I would imagine that like, it would just require them to like send out like both Boyan and Mike Conley as opposed right. to like just one of them. Um, but I need to take a look real quick while we're like talking about this briefly. Um, so yeah. Utah right now is where are they? I mean, they have to be below the apron because they did the sign and trade. Oh, right. uh, where are they? They are at 148 and the apron is 156. Yeah, I mean, they could still make that happen, I think. If, if they would have to move out both Mike Conley and Boyan yep. um and not bring any salary back or even they even still could, I think, bring some salary back. Yeah, it's still still a realistic option money-wise. Um yeah, it, it gets a little bit more complicated. Luke is right. It gets a little bit more complicated, but I do think like just in terms of like mechanically, it is possible still. And like, I think that they could make it work. Yeah. There are probably other ways that you can structure a deal, throwing in uh, different types of players and, and, and other things just to, to get the salary a little bit more balanced. Yeah. So Boyan and Mike Conley combined make about 42 million. Um, I believe that Russ, I'm going to look up the exact number now. Um, Russell Westbrook is at 47. So that's an additional 5 million. Um, I believe that they're seven below the apron based off of what I looked at before. Um, Yeah, I think they could still do this. Yeah, I think. I believe. I'm not, I'm not Danny LaRue. I'm not like quite. (laughs) a hundred percent on CBA stuff, but like, I'm pretty good at it for the most part. Um, you know, guys like Keith Smith, Danny LaRue, they're a little bit better at it than I am. Uh, certainly much better at it. Um, but based off of just like doing quick math in my head, I think that they could still make it work. Um, especially if they also move Jordan Clarkson in a situation like that, like there's like a three team deal where like, you could kind of do a lot of different, like if you moved out all of Jordan Clarkson, um, Boyan and Mike Conley in a three-team deal brought back Russell Westbrook. You could do that, I think, in terms of like the cap logistics legally. And you could also bring back um, picks. You could also even bring back a couple salaries, I think. So, yeah, no, I think that it is still doable and still feasible. And I'm a U.S. history teacher, so don't ask me to do any math. <laughs> you're, you're a basketball coach. You know, we, we can't ask you to do math as it is. <laughs> <laughs> true all right those are three good questions let me make sure we didn't get any others to close on just in my mentions um by the way i'm in the middle of what is undeniably like the worst fantasy basketball or fantasy football draft in the history of fantasy football still going so yeah this draft started last week uh it's a four four round draft (laughs) where it's a dynasty league and you just have to take like rookies and free agents. We've been going now for seven days and there have been, I think 37 or 38 picks made (laughs) in seven days. You've got a week until the season kicks off, Sam. So I'm concerned. (laughs) You got to hurry things up here. 
I am very concerned, to be honest with you. Um, th- this is where we're at. Uh, the last, the last question here that we'll finish on is from Everyone Needs a Smile. Is Troy Weaver as good as Detroit fans are saying? It feels like his two best decisions, Cade and Ivy, were no brainers, and he keeps going wrong in the margins, overpaying bad big men, dumping seconds. Um, I think the jury is still out on Troy Weaver is like a, just general decision maker. I think Troy Weaver is an excellent evaluator of talent Um, in terms of the way that he creates a roster that fits together. I would say the jury is still out on Troy Weaver. Um, I I do have some concerns about the fact that like he continues to just value bigs in the way that he values bigs. And that feels mildly concerning, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, and I think, you know, there are always going to be swings and misses on different guys, uh, whether that's Killian Hayes. I think that's an easy one to look at and say that wasn't the greatest pick in the world at the situation. But he's had more hits than misses, no doubt about it. He's found some yeah. good guys in later parts of the draft. I have high hopes for a guy like Isaiah Livers turning into a, a rotational type of yep. NBA player. So, uh, again, still way too early to judge a lot of this stuff. I do buy in a little bit more to the direction and the cohesion that the the roster may be able to bring together. But if he continues to add big guys, it's it's a little bit harder to defend. Also, uh, everyone loves everyone needs a smile. They uh, aren't isn't that who does all of our timestamps on the the YouTube channel? The best listener, the best of the Game Theory podcast um, by far. Everyone needs a smile on YouTube is the best game theory podcast listener i'm i'm sorry to everyone else but like this dude does timestamps uh at the end of every episode just absolutely our king here at the game theory podcast um yeah i think that that's that's all i got at this point um i don't know do do you you have any movie takes have you watched any movies in the last few days no i have been in meetings galore back getting ready for the school year to start uh, you know, my wife and I are binge watching House of Cards right now. It's her first time seeing the show. It's one of my personal go. favorites. So that's been an enjoyable thing for me to fall asleep at 930 p.m. doing. Uh, but no, no movies for me this week. Yeah, I rewatched A Time to Kill recently and I still can't quite get behind uh, Kevin Spacey on screen yet. Uh, just because of how yeah. like incredibly fucked up that dude seems to be yeah. um, based off of reports and allegedly and all of that stuff. But well, and it, the, yeah, it seems very bad. And uh, there are scenes in house of cards that you watch now having seen, you know, heard about all the things that are gone on and, and it's very yeah. cringe, very cringe. Yeah, it's very bad. Um, I listened to some, as some people know, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, the blank check podcast with Griffin and David. It's a movie podcast. They go through directors, filmographies, um, you know, directors who have had massive success early on in their careers and, uh, are given a series of blank checks. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce. And I finally got to the episode of, Alex Ross Perry, who's a director, diving into Halloween and diving into horror movies from 1960, basically, to 1978, up until Halloween happened. So over the last few days, I've been watching a lot of like older horror movies, because I feel like that's actually kind of a blind spot for me. Um, like last night, I started watching Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which is a movie that was mentioned on there. Um, it's like a weird... like psychological thriller movie um yeah very very uh fun little project for me moving forward and philip flores in the comments here is mentioning rosemary's baby i actually just watched rosemary's baby like two nights ago um so yeah i'm like all in on like that like kind of area of horror movies right now uh because look here's the thing this is like kind of a dead zone for the next like couple of weeks here in terms of new releases. Um, I guess I have to go see 3000 years of longing, which is the new George Miller movie with Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. But like, I'm only kind of interested in it, I guess. Um, But yeah, that's where we're at. This this is where we're at in uh, the life of this podcast. All right, spins. Let's get out of here. Please tell the people where they can find your work. 
please tell the people what you've got coming this week. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sam. Um, fun conversation today. Obviously really cool to, to be able to hop on right after some news breaks and, and just, isn't it the best? Yeah. It, it's cool to talk. It's the first time I've done something like this, being able to talk about things as the news is being made a uh, very cool experience. You can find me on Twitter at the box and one underscore YouTube is my name, Adam Spinella or my Substack page, the box and one dot substack dot com uh, gearing up a lot with some, college basketball type previews getting ready for the for the season there diving into transfer portal and transfer market stuff a little bit more as we really try to put more of a, a 2023 nba draft focus on as the year is is really starting uh this is uh, there's never too early of a time to start i know i've been doing some stuff over the summer but i am itching to do a lot more draft stuff now because i've been a little more nba focused the last few weeks so ready to get back into that uh, earlier this week, I did a deep dive on RJ Barrett. Uh, I would go to the athletic and read that. Uh, I think it turned out pretty okay. Yeah. Um, I might do a thing on like draft picks and like how three teams own all of the draft moving forward. <laughs> uh, we'll see whether or not that comes to fruition. Um, but yeah, keep it locked at the athletic and, uh, we'll be back later this weekend. I'm sure Adam and I, we have a plan, uh, I don't really want to mention what it is yet because it might not come to fruition because we're not totally sure that we're going to have access to what we're trying to do. Um, but we have a plan and we'll be back on recording Sunday night. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Sam. Looking forward to it. Until next time, though, we will talk soon. Bye.